listen for the gospel of the Lord. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we read about the first appearance that John tells us about in his gospel of the risen Christ. On that occasion, it was to Mary Magdalene. He told her after she recognized him to go and tell the other disciples. She runs and tells them and says, I have seen the Lord. Then they go to the tomb and find it empty. And then it says they go back home. And then there's a section just before where we read where Jesus comes and appears to the disciples. And the disciples say, we have seen the Lord. Thomas is not with them. When he comes back, they say to him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas was absent. He missed the appearance. And he is recalcitrant. He's doubting this testimony from his fellow disciples, he begins to say that he's not going to believe. He seems to have such a vivid recollection of Jesus hanging on the cross. He says, I would have to see the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side before I would believe. He cannot believe that this one that he knows is dead, who has been crucified, could now somehow be raised from the dead and be alive and appear to them. It does sound impossible. But Thomas says, I will not believe. Now, there are a lot of people, here we are 2,000 years later, who are saying the same kind of thing. I will not believe. They have doubts and questions about religious faith. When researchers began to ask people, adults in the United States, about religious affiliation, they tell us the fastest growing group are those who say, I have no religious affiliation. I don't have religious beliefs. When they ask them, why are they not connected? Why do not they believe? They say they have too many questions. They have doubts. They are in a very similar place, it seems, to Thomas when they say they will not believe or they cannot believe or they're questioning their belief. What about you? Most of us have had doubts and questions about different articles of faith or doctrines in faith or stories we read in Scripture and we wonder, do I believe that? Can I believe that? Often, for those of us who are part of churches or participate in religious communities, 
we hide those doubts, we hold those questions inside because those in the faith community, unfortunately, have not been kind to doubters. We have not always welcomed them. More likely, when a person expresses doubt or questions faith, they get ignored or ostracized or condemned or excluded. I want us to rethink that because that is not the response Jesus offers to Thomas. Jesus responds to Thomas in a very different way than condemnation. Jesus stays in relationship with Thomas, even in his doubt. Let's look at that passage again that tells about Jesus coming back to appear to them once Thomas is with them. In verse 26, a week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Let's just stop there for a moment to notice that even though Thomas has said straight to the other disciples who have said, we have seen the Lord, he said, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe you. And yet, rather than a break in the relationship, Thomas is still with them in the house. Somehow they're continuing to live and to function in community. Then the story goes on to say, although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now I want us to notice that Jesus is leading with peace. So Jesus comes to Thomas in his doubt, but not only comes to him, doesn't condemn him, doesn't attack him, but offers him peace. There is no condemnation or attack in this story of Thomas doubting. Jesus and the other disciples all seem to still be in relationship with Thomas. And yet we see something very different happening in our culture today. Sometimes people post things online. Other people disagree. They had been friends and one or the other unfriends the other. Or maybe you're in a relationship where you've disagreed with someone and next thing you know, you're cut out of the social circle. No more invitations. No more community between you and them. Or maybe you're still friends, but they begin to belittle you or attack you, begin to argue with you or call names. Jesus gives us a different idea here. What if we as Christians look for ways to come toward people bringing peace what if we would follow the example of the risen christ in the text today and when someone doubts or has questions we offer them peace we stay in relationship we try to help them with their questions what if we as the church could have enough grace to create space for people to explore faith and be honest with their questions, honest with their doubts, without fear of being ostracized from the community. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the church could be like the risen Christ is in our story today and offer that same kind of peace and grace to others? Philip Gully is an author and a Quaker pastor. He tells a story about a time before he was a leader of a congregation, about being in the congregation where he had grown up. He has done some seminary study. He's done some Christian service, but he's not yet leading a congregation. He's a young adult participating. 
an issue comes before the meeting of the council of the church, so to speak, and not everyone agrees. There's one man who's moderating. He seems to be only calling on people once he opens the floor for discussion that he knows already agree with him. Everyone seems to be expressing the same opinion. Finally, he called on one woman who he thought agreed with him, but as she began to speak, she began to call for greater tolerance and understanding. He cut her off and said, it's time for lunch. Looky here, we've got to stop now. They eat lunch. After lunch, the meeting reconvenes, but it's the same pattern, but it only gets worse. People begin to talk over other people. People begin to mumble under their breath and make rude comments. Before long, there's nowhere to go. It's become such a conflicted situation. They just end the meeting as it overflows with ill will and conflict and brokenness. Golly was really disturbed by the way the moderator handled this. He says days later, he went to see the man to ask him what had happened. Why did he not let it be a free-flowing discussion and let everybody ask questions they wanted to ask and express opinions they were going to express before they tried to discern the way they wanted to go? He said he had only barely begun to talk to the man and ask some of those questions when the man stopped him and said, if you don't like it, you can leave the church. You're not one of us anyway. Now here was a young man who had grown up in that church, was feeling a call into ministry, was dedicating his life to the cause of Christ, and yet the moderator of that meeting was trying to banish him from that very faith community in which he had grown. He later writes this. Golly writes this. The consequences of this tendency toward rigid conformity are so dramatic as to be breathtaking. Today, the church is hemorrhaging members as more and more thoughtful people look outside the church for enlightenment. Even though more and more people seem interested in spirituality, they look less and less to the church as a setting for their search. What if we could offer peace? What if the church could be spiritually mature enough to allow people to ask their questions within the faith community rather than ignoring or ostracizing or excluding. Jesus offers us a different way to deal with those with questions and doubt. We have already seen he comes to Thomas in his doubt. He comes bringing peace. And right after he says, peace be with you there at the end of verse 26, then it says in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. See how Jesus is addressing the very questions that Thomas was asking, trying to respond to the very things Thomas says that he needs, even though he's saying, I cannot believe. The good news here is that Jesus believes in Thomas, even when Thomas does not believe in him. It's the image of a believing Jesus, 
a Jesus that believes in you, even in your doubts and questions, a Jesus who believes in you, even when you're not sure you can trust yourself. Jesus comes to Thomas as in doubt, addresses his questions, encourages him to believe, wants him to believe, but never says you have to believe or leave, never says you must believe this or that. He lets Thomas have his own experience. Jesus seems to know belief is a process, and it happens best in relationship within the faith community. You can hear the phraseology at the end of this passage, how belief is a process. In verse 29, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Then later in verse 31, the author of the gospel says, These things are written so that you may come to believe. Jesus seems to recognize that we're not born with belief. We come to believe. We grow in faith. Others help us understand faith, give us opportunity to ask questions and grow and mature. What if we could be a church that encouraged people to ask their questions, to share their doubts, and to stay together on this faith journey? The United Methodists see belief in this same way. We say the sources of faith are Scripture and tradition, but then we also add experience, our own personal experiences, especially with God and the Holy Spirit, but also our experiences in faith community and also reason. We're expected to think about our experiences, to reflect on them, and to try to make coherent sense of a faith that works and nourishes us and our souls and our lives. United Methodism, and I think this passage as well, recognizes we don't all have the same experience. Some of us have lots of doubts. Some of us, not very many. Some people doubt when they're young. Others doubt in midlife. Others doubt later in life. Some doubt themselves, while others doubt what others say. We have all kinds of different experiences in life and in faith communities so often the community responds harshly. Jesus seems to be making a call for us to respond in a different way. It's so important to see the key here, that Jesus does not condemn doubt or the doubter. In fact, Jesus seems to think that as Thomas deals with his doubts, it will help him come to believe. William Sloan Coffin, a great preacher, a pastor at Riverside Church in New York City, Yale chaplain, author of numerous books, he writes about his own belief and doubts and questions. When he's writing about that, he concludes that doubts and questions and differences of opinion are an essential ingredient to religious faith. He suggests they have a limbering effect on our thinking. I want to read you a few sentences when he's writing about this. He says, faith or belief is no substitute for thinking. On the contrary, it is what makes good thinking possible. It has what we might call a limbering effect on the mind. By taking us beyond familiar ground, faith ends up giving us more to think about rather than less. Coffin is arguing 
to see thou as another blessing in our faith journey. We need not throw out someone asking questions or having doubts or struggling with some kind of life experience or faith crisis. We not, need not exclude them from the family of faith because it's part of their process as they're coming to believe. The Easter message is that Christ is risen. And in that proclamation, we're saying God is with us in life and death and life beyond death. The Gospels proclaim that the birth of Jesus means God is with us. This claim of resurrection reasserts the same claim that God is with us, that even death will not separate us from God. Belief is to be a blessing, to help us in our thinking, a sense of assurance as we work through it. It's not to be the end of our thinking, it's to be the beginning. I think we hear it in those last two verses we read. John writes in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in His name. We all want to have abundant life. That's the promise Jesus makes and the Gospel writers tell us about, that as we come to believe, we will be on the path that leads to life. Jesus helps Thomas, even as he doubts, walk on the path that leads to life. Last week, I had the opportunity to do, do a baptism with a family. We have other opportunities. Later today, we'll be baptizing other one child and then several young people who are in the confirmation process. Whenever we baptize a child, we ask parents to make a commitment of faith. When we baptize someone older, we ask them to make that same commitment of faith. But in the Methodist tradition, we also always ask the congregation to make a commitment to the person. You've probably said these words with us before. The congregation makes this commitment with God's help. We will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this person with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. It's such a gracious invitation to invite someone into the community of faith, especially when the faith community is saying, we are with you. We're offering peace. We're offering support. We're going to surround you. What if we all took as our personal mission statement that kind of commitment? What if we said, I will proclaim good news and live according to the example of Christ. I will lead with peace and grace just as the risen Christ did. I will extend that to others even if they're asking questions, even if they don't believe what I believe, even if they have serious doubts. I will surround the doubter with love and forgiveness. Because we recognize this is a journey of faith in which we grow. That it's a vital process that's supposed to be going on throughout our lives. And we all know that we will have doubts at one time or another. 
What if we knew our faith community would be supportive and surround us with love and forgiveness? Then it says, I will pray for them so much better than attacking or condemning or ostracizing to pray for someone with whom you disagree. Leading with peace is the example we have in the gospel today. What if we were people who were determined to offer peace to others, even if they weren't reciprocating, even if they were attacking or condemning us? What if we were committed because we're followers of Christ to offering peace, to extending grace and love to any and all our friends and neighbors? I think it would lead to abundant life. That's the promise of the gospel. It's good news for all of us to be able to live in peace and goodwill with one another. What if we would take up that mantle and get to that place where Thomas was, where he exclaims, my Lord and my God. Everyone's not there yet, but we can all be a part of the process of growing in faith. I hope that we can all experience what Thomas did and recognize that God is with us, that Christ is risen, that God's unhindered presence and love is available to us now and forever may we all know that assurance amen and thanks be to god